0: Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chapel.
2: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Build Network podcast. I'm so excited to welcome Jonathan Kendall on the show is currently the co-founder and COO of Lead Nurture, an all-in-one sales, funnels, and CRM software, as well as the executive director of Virtual Worker Now, an international outsourcing agency. Throughout his career, Jonathan raised over $100 million for companies like Radio Shack, Pure One Imports, Fresh Capital, Just Farmers Cart, Knowledge Society, Linens and Things, Steinmart, and Models Sporting Goods, while also helping other entrepreneurs optimize their systems and raising additional millions for huge real estate deals and scaling franchises. In addition, Jonathan spent three years at MentorBox, eventually taking up the role of CEO and working closely with VC and angel fund behemoths like Reid Hoffman, Dan Fleischman, and Maynard Webb, who managed billions of dollars in assets. I know you're going to bring a lot of value to this conversation. Jonathan, welcome to the show.
3: Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
2: Yeah, really excited to have you on. And uh, we always like to take these conversations back to the very beginning. So tell me a little bit about like middle school, Jonathan. Like, What was your... Uh, your life and dreams like at that time?
3: I've always been incredibly ambitious. I was the one when, what do you want to be when you grow up? I would say the president of the United States, because I thought that that was kind of like the biggest thing you could be. And I was into, I grew up in Ohio, so I was big into wrestling. One of the kind of bigger, like Olympic wrestling states, Hmm. Pennsylvania, Ohio, Iowa, Oklahoma, you know, those states. So I went to one of the top schools in the United States for for wrestling and uh, kind of pushed that to the max. All the way to uh, training the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs. So always, always an ambitious kid, always hardworking. Yeah. Um, So that was me in middle school.
2: Were your parents the same way, or was it just something like where you kind of popped out as an anomaly and and acted that that kind of way?
3: Yeah, I think my mom was super supportive of anything that I wanted to do. She was never, even if I said something that other people would think is impossible, she'd always be like, "Yeah, of course that makes sense. Like, you do whatever you want." So I think that partially. Is is part of it? I was never, you know, none of my dreams were ever squashed. And then my dad was definitely pretty hard. You know, he would push me. Yeah. He wouldn't necessarily tell me what I wanted to do, but he would say, "If you're going to do it, then you better do it as best as you possibly can." So.
2: Right. So he was very realistic about things. Like, if you're going to do it, here's the path you need to you need to follow. It that way.
3: Yeah, I mean, he tried, <laughs> but his intentions were good.
2: Sure. Well, I'm I'm kind of <laughs> curious about that. Like, as you started looking into like college and like when you know when you're in middle school you've got these vague ideas of like oh it'd be fun to do this and then you start getting into adulthood and you start realizing like i gotta actually pick something i can't just have a cute answer i'm curious you said like your dreams were never squashed like you were kind of told anything's possible did that influence the way you made decisions about how you started your kind of career trajectory
3: yeah i would say so i was always like really big into leadership and extracurriculars so more more than academics, I was more like in, in high school, I did speech and debate, which was called like forensics. And so I was yeah. really into, you know, which is one of the best things I've ever done because now I'm comfortable on stage and on camera and all that. Yeah. So I was big into that. And then in college, I was big into a, sort of like a bipartisan political organization called Voice or Vote. Mm-hmm. And I really liked it because the KPI was so clear. It was like number of students that were registered to vote. So I was right. like this clear metric of success. And I was very competitive with the other universities in the country. And so I thought I went to the University of Michigan and I was very obsessed with having the most registered students of any university in the country. And so I was always I don't know, I was always ambitious and I like the, of having like a clear goal and then yeah. organizing people around that clear goal. So even mm-hmm. in like in high school, my speech and debate team had over a hundred students on it It was bigger than our football team, you know, which is saying a lot in Ohio. In college, it was the largest student organization on campus. I really enjoyed organizing large groups of people for like one mission. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's just evolved into entrepreneurship.
2: Sure. How long did it take you to realize like This thing you enjoy doing could actually be something that kind of helps pay you because like, I think a lot of times the, and I think it's a way a lot of us are raised is the idea that, you know, you can have the thing that you enjoy doing and then you need to pick your job. You know, like there's a delineation between the two. How quickly did you realize like, oh, I can start monetizing this ability?
3: I at the at the level I am now probably ten years. <laughs> mm. But you know, when I was in my early twenties, I worked in restaurants, you know, to pay the bills, and you know, I managed restaurants. And I was a I wanted to be a novelist. Mm. But I'm also, I have like an artist artistic side to me. So you know, I was which eventually content writing turned into uh, copywriting, which turned mm. into digital marketing, which turned into entrepreneurship. Right, so that was kind of the path. But yeah, I had, I published a novel and I, you know, went on a little tour and, you know, wanted to be the, you know, Kerouacan young writer. And I basically kind of got slapped in the face. Cal Newport talks about this and so good. They can't ignore you. He says, you know, yeah, you like your passion matters. I think this will answer your question is that your passion matters, but only insofar as you're skilled enough for other people to pay you for it. Like what you want almost doesn't matter <laughs> if it's not backed up by the skill to give value in the real world, right? Like we only pay. Or either a product, a service, education, or entertainment. Those are basically Mm -hmm. the four things that people pay for. And if you're not in one of those four, if you're not giving value in one of those four ways, then no one's gonna pay. And you know, the market is brutal. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of competition out there, and there's a lot of entertainment, and there's a lot of education, and there's a lot of physical products, and there are a lot of services. And so if you can't compete on the open market, you know, relative to price, the skill relative to price, it doesn't really matter, you know, what you want. Mm -hmm. You know, the universe is kind of brutal. And so can you be paid to do anything? Of course, a hundred percent. Absolutely. Thousand, thousand percent, but you have to be good. And uh-huh. I think a lot of people sort of skip that step, especially when you're young, you know, the Dunning Kruger effect is really strong when you're young, where, you know, you're overconfident when you're in the beginning because you're, you're, you're zero to one and you think, Oh my God, like I can play this song on the guitar. Wow. I'm mm-hmm. amazing. You know, yeah. and because yesterday you didn't know how to play any songs. Mm-hmm. So now you think that you're a rock star because you know one song kind yeah. of. Right, but when you're playing at, if you're trying to compete in in the open market, you have to become world class, or you're going to get destroyed, yeah. and that takes so long of just you know, as Gary V says, like eating shit. And a lot of people are not good at that marshmallow test. Yeah, and so yeah, you can get there, but it's going to take a while. So for me, it took like ten years before I could actually feel feel the benefits of it.
2: Yeah. yeah, you can enjoy painting, but there's a lot of good painters out there, so it <laughs> takes a lot to takes a lot to yeah. stand out. Yeah. So what was your first foray into entrepreneurship because i like obviously i think everyone looks back and goes like the first thing i did like was the eating shit moment it was like i look back and go like what was i doing i was totally misguided I didn't understand my audience like what was kind of your first dip of the toe into it
3: i right after college i went to guatemala to work for a startup that was a competitor of basically like spring break right Mm -hmm. so we said instead of going to daytona beach or miami you should come to Guatemala and volunteer in like NGOs and like help these yeah. like Mayan villages, right? That don't have electricity, don't have running water, they don't even speak Spanish. They speak like Quechique, this like mm-hmm. you know, Mayan language. They're literally in the rainforest. And I thought it was fascinating. I like to travel. I wanted to mm-hmm. live abroad. So I went down there and you know, my boss was twenty-four and I was twenty-three. And you know, we just were <laughs> trying to trying to go for it. And and we had a Like a good a good year and then uh it was really interesting we the second year we were feeling like we made some progress and then the founders decided ah actually the business model is not going to scale to the lifestyle that we want Mm -hmm. they thought they could kind of do both right they thought they could do something that was really good for the world and was fun and they could live abroad and they could help people and simultaneously kind of you know become millionaires then they very quickly realized that this is going to be more like a lifestyle business right and so very very Randomly, one day they just decided to to stop the whole thing. So we were like a year and a half in, you know, grinding this startup, and uh, I was the head of marketing. Mm-hmm. You know, twenty three head of marketing, it was <laughs> what a joke. But um, you know, there I was, and uh, you know, it ended up failing, and that was probably my that was my my first forte into success and failure in the same year.
2: Yeah, I mean, over time, you know, you start realizing like successes and failures happen, but. Yeah. When it first happens, whatever that thing is, it's kind of crushing, you know, and especially, I mean, for you, that was a huge shift. You were moving probably away from family for the first time, really. I mean, outside of like some schooling and things, but, you know, traveling, pouring your heart and soul into this company and, you know, even in misguided ways. Uh, did that put a roadblock for you mentally of like before you stepped to anything else? Or was it just like on to the next? Let's try to you know, rebound and and go for the next one?
3: Yeah, I was a bit heartbroken, but I'm pretty stoic and I've always been pretty stoic. I mean, I've been an avid reader for a long time. So Mm -hmm. I've you know read the stoics, literally, you know, reading books on stoicism helps. It's one thing to say that. It's another thing to like really be a student of it. And so I've always been obsessed with nonfiction and self-development. I was really big into, you know, Tony Robbins in high school. That's kind of like, you know, everyone's, you know, first step is just like the motivational speaker type. Mm -hmm. Not to say that, you know, he's not, scientific about it nowadays, but in the beginning of his career, he was more, you know, more just motivational. And that evolved into, you know, reading a lot. And so, you know, I have a lot of tools in my mental tool bag that I use, you know, in certain situations, a lot of phrases, mantras, ways of, you know, journaling about certain things and getting over it. Sure. Although, yeah, my instinct was, you know, heartbroken and and, and sad and, you know, felt like a failure. It's kind of like, you know, okay, what did I learn? You know, what's the next thing? I didn't die. Everything happens for a reason. Let's go.
2: Right, right. What what was the next thing you jumped into from that? Like, how did you recalibrate back on the road? Like, what was the next direction?
3: I went to Los Angeles to make my own startup with a friend. (laughs) And uh, that also failed. (laughs) Well, he ended up. You know, knock on wood, he's, he ended up going, having some mental health issues and he's mm-hmm. in a mental hospital still to this day. So he, he had uh, some serious like biochemical problems that hit him mm-hmm. when he was, you know, 23, 25, like serious schizophrenia. So we kind of, it ended up switching to be more about like trying to help him. And I didn't realize that it kind of like deteriorated while we were working on it. So that was another failure. And then I went to live with my mom for like six months in Portland, Oregon, you know, just back with the mom. I ended up working the, in a live restaurant. Living the dream. Yeah, living the dream. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I ended up working in, in restaurants and really getting into like the Portland fiction writing scene. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Portland, Oregon is very artsy and, you know, very literary. It's got some of the best bookstores in the world there. So I got really into the like the literature scene there and published a novel. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we just wanted to full bore into the you know, young artist novelist for a while. And mm-hmm. then uh, and then realized that, you know it wasn't going to pay the bills so then I switched the copywriting
2: right right yeah i mean that's a that's a switch that's paid off obviously and and uh <laughs> leans in the leans in the right direction kind of moving into the in the future you know when did you feel that moment of like okay this is clicking like this is different than the things that are you know, that have failed in the past or like these kind of like big ideas where we didn't know how to execute them, you know, to the fullest, like, when was the first time you remember just feeling like, oh, this is it, like, this is a, a viable path to, to growing?
3: I think it was the biggest, like the first big copywriting gig that I got that it was going to take me a while to finish. So rather than taking small, like freelance gigs for, you know, like writing five emails here or mm-hmm. writing a landing page or that sort of thing, I got a an assignment for a really cool guy who... Had cancer, only had one lung, hmm. and he climbed the highest seven peaks and you know all the continents, and was just this really extraordinary guy. And I landed the contract to ghostwrite write his book. It was a you know huh. nonfiction narrative book. You know it was, certainly had you know lessons in there, but it was also narrative. So you know my storytelling and like fiction writing previously really helped with that. Yes. And that was a long-term gig. It took me a while to write it. And so I was living in Mexico. I had read, read The 4-Hour work week by Tim Ferriss and took it very seriously. So I got paid in US dollars, but, you know, spent pesos. So I was arbitraging the currency in terms of lifestyle. So although I wasn't, you know, living I, my total revenue, you know, relative to an American standard, I was, you know, kind of average. Yeah, I was still coming up as a writer, Yeah, but I was living this fairly luxurious lifestyle in yeah. Mexico. And you're getting paid to
2: write, which is something that you know. There's a lot of people dying for that. (laughs) So exactly, yeah.
3: Yeah, So I would, you know, me and my we were married then, but now my wife. We would, you know, go to the beach and stay there for you know three days, and I would just write from my laptop, and you know, it just we were. Yeah, it was it was for sure a dream basically. When I got that contract, I was like I made it.
2: And pivoting from that into working with companies, I mean like I listed in your bio a million names that you know people know like Radio Shack, uh, well people might remember Radio Shack. Uh but you know Pure One Imports or Dress Barn or all these different companies like you know going from, you know, landing one-to-one contracts with somebody is one thing, like these juggernaut companies like how did you navigate that transition? Like, how did you go about you know building the relationships that led to those opportunities?
3: Yeah. so I got to the point where I would do a lot of extra work in the beginning of contracts when I thought there was a entrepreneur on the other side that could be a great lifetime value client. So mm-hmm. I got real real good at at differentiating between short-term money and long-term relationships and long-term lifetime value. Mm-hmm. And whenever, I I met uh, Alex Mayer, who's a founder of uh, Zeusk, and he's now the co-founder of Rev, and he was the founder of uh, MentorBox, and you know all the super high-level serial entrepreneur. You know, done over a billion dollars in direct response sales, rung the New York Stock Exchange bell, like you know, Wall Street Journal articles. You just can't get much bigger than you know the level he's at, and he was a client of mine, and I saw that opportunity yeah. and I did a lot of extra work for free right in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And so it's funny because I think some people when they see and when they see someone with a great network or a very, you know, crazy resume, on the one hand, if you're thinking short term, you're gonna think, oh, I can extract more, you know, short-term money from them, right? Mm-hmm. I can charge more, I can, you know, there's this kind of short-term mindset. Whereas I I think correctly, Was thinking even more long term and said, "Well, any money that I get from him is basically irrelevant. Like, what I'd rather have is a relationship, network, mentorship. You know, learn from someone that's played at this highest level." Yeah. And so that was probably the biggest, the biggest thing that I did. I remember I was I did the first mentor box. I wrote the first mentor. And so there, Alex had done some. He created a landing page, ran some traffic to it, and they got a lot of. They had product market fit, basically. Yeah. So they had product market fit right away, and they said, "Okay, well, you know, we have a month to basically ship these boxes, and so we need to kind of create them now." That kind of like a GoFundMe style, right? Where it's like, you know, they got the money first, and then they said, "Okay, let's ship it." And they hired a lot of people to do the first box. Mm -hmm. It's funny he tells this story. He hired someone to hire ten people to do the first assignment (laughs) to Mm -hmm. like choose basically, and then whoever was the best and they paid they didn't pay for a resume they didn't they like they actually paid for the full service mm-hmm. and then the, the person that was the best they said okay now you're going to do all of them and so mm-hmm. i you know i didn't realize that i was one out of ten but i was one out of ten and then i got chosen and so right away i said oh you have this wrong with your landing page and you need to back in email sequences and you know and i just did it i didn't say like i'm going to charge you hourly or or you know this project based or whatever i just said i i felt The opportunity real fast and I just did a lot of extra work and I just said, Oh yeah, I, I, it seemed like you guys needed this as well. So I just did it. Mm. And, uh, the next day when I gave him all of that, he called me and said, like, do you want to come to San Francisco and start this thing with me? And so, you know, I think that's just an example of like, when you have, when you have an opportunity with someone, it's actually doing more free work and like making their life easier, uh, and not asking them like, what else can I do for you? But just being skilled Mm -hmm. enough. And being able to like notice the patterns and just do the thing in advance. Like, oh, you yeah. know what? It seems like you're missing TikTok. So I went ahead and and I cut, you know, 40 TikTok videos from your YouTube channel. Yeah. Like that, that's not asking for permission. That's not hoping. That's just saying, like, hey, like, here's some stuff and I did it for you for free. And I'm not even asking for anything. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you want to use it, you can use it. And that one decision to do a lot of extra work completely changed my life because Alex knows, you know, all of the major players in Silicon Valley.
2: Yeah, that's huge. I'm curious because like, there's everything you just said is great advice. And like, it's something that, you know, especially I hope people grasp that idea of like not asking how you can help, but just helping where you see you can help, you know, because like, um, me and Travis always talk about it. like, all it does is give you a lot of work. Like when someone says, how can I help you? You're like, uh, I guess, you can help with email, let me set up our this and add you to this and do, you know, like it, it bec- or how like you're auditing your company, like, where do I need help? You know, like, it's it's a tricky, it's a tricky thing to expect somebody to do that. But I want to talk a little bit about the advice you give because it is good tactical advice, like doing work for free, thinking about the long term side. But there's people that do like a very shady version of this, which is like, hey, I did one for you. And then there's like this, like, kind of pressure, like you do this for me now. What would you say to people like in terms of giving, you know, you want to be strategic, but you want, you don't necessarily want to be expecting a certain thing because that's going to, you know, some people aren't going to notice, some people aren't going to, you know, take notice of what you're doing. Like, how do you balance those things?
3: Yeah, I think it's not putting all your eggs in one basket. So there's groupings of people that are in uh, like a, a bucket, right? We've done like my outsourced digital marketing agency, virtual worker now. We have 400 employees, you know, we have 50 copywriters, you know, 50 graphic designers. We have this massive team. You know, we hired I think 30 people in January, so we're like we're growing very fast. Like we can't even keep up with the market, right? We've done so much free work for Gary Vee, <laughs> it's like over the top. Yeah, <laughs> and we just send it. We just continuously send it to him, and we don't care. We're just going to continuously send him, you know, free stuff every so often. And see what happens. And so I think that you have buckets of people where you're like, mm. this is a long shot. It's basically a 0.1% chance. But even if I, I mean, one day I'm sure I'll meet him because I'll, you know, I'll be at that level. I'm sure, but you know, it's going to take some time and even, even just having that conversation, be like, you know, I, you know, my team did 400 TikToks for you and you never posted any of them. You're like he's going to laugh, <laughs> you know, no. and even for, even just to say that out loud is worth it because it's going to build trust right away. And it's, mm. you know, it's totally fun. But you also have kind of a second tier, and I think that you know taking a lot of swings, right? You're not gonna hit a home run every single time. So uh, instead of feeling like this one person is gonna make or break mm-hmm. my company, you say, oh, I'm gonna do it for twenty people, thirty people, forty people, right? And then two of those will probably be like, "Wow, this is cool! Thank you so much!" Like, hey, you know, do you have any services? Blah blah. And it's all of it's copywriting and wording it in a way that's not needy and just being like, you know, presenting it and then not following up and being like, "Hey, I did this for you. What the hell?" You know, I always tell my team, you can't trick the universe. Money truly is, I believe, an exchange of value. Mm -hmm. And if you if you want to have more money and more freedom and more resources and more status and more esteem, like you can't, you can't. There's no shortcut. You just have to give a good product or a service or entertainment or education at scale. And if you don't do that in in a competitive market, then you're not going to be rewarded and there's no way to trick anyone. So if you want to take 20, 30, 40 swings at it, it'll probably work one or two at a time, but definitely don't expect it.
2: Well, this all comes full circle to what you said at the very beginning. Like you can enjoy something, but if it's not bringing value, it it doesn't matter. Like you're just a person painting in your garage at that point. Yeah, Um, which is okay. Yeah, well, I mean, like you look at like a Gary Vee, for example, and you, you know, he's got a huge team of people. He's got videographers, he's got creatives, he's got all these people, and you know, I think for somebody like even you know, even somebody listening to this is going like, well, you've got this huge team, you've got people that can design stuff. You know, it's not a lot of skin off your back to do this. Like, yeah. you know, for the person who's the hustler, solo entrepreneur, and they they see. Literally, they see you the way that you're seeing Gary V. It's like, this is unattainable. How do I add value? I'm just me. How do I do this? So how can someone audit themselves and find where they can add value to somebody who feels like they're unattainable, who feels like they have everything they could ever want? Uh, what do you look for when determining how to bring value to them?
3: Yeah, I think that there's, uh, like you got to differentiate your hard skills from your soft skills. The hard skills is like, you know, copywriting, graphic design, video editing, or being a podcast host. There's something that's like an actual skill, right? Yeah. And then there's soft skills like leadership or sales or, you know, motivating people or, uh, you know, being a good listener, a therapist, you know, this kind of, uh, these kind of soft skills, having a good mindset. And there are things that people ask you in your life probably for help with or advice with hmm. and those are good like parameters hmm. or you know kind of if someone asks you for something a lot a lot of people ask you for help with this one thing it means that yeah. you're probably good at it right yeah. and if it's a hard skill you know it's something to do with software or you know something to do with web development or you know just whatever the hard skill is if you don't have a hard skill then it's going to be hard to compete so yeah. that's one Is just like get one you know yeah. And, and and that's just, you know, practicing. Like if I showed you my the number of journals, I've literally written like millions of words to practice that were not paid for. You know, it's like welcome yeah. to the club. You know, it's like you gotta put in your you gotta put in yeah. your hours, you know. But but yeah, I think that's a good that's a good way of thinking about it. It's like what do people ask you for help with? What do you what do people ask you for advice for? And if it's a hard skill, then that's probably something that you're pretty good at. Mm-hmm. And so then how do you how do you do that at scale? A lot of it is um, strategic, like time blocking, right? So, someone says, Oh, I don't have time. Like, that's 100% bullshit. 100% bullshit. I know you're like scrolling through Instagram. I know you watch Netflix. I know that you, you know, take probably a little bit too long with your, you know, coffee in the mornings. And there's a, if you, if you list out, you know, how do I waste four hours a day, two hours a day, right? Like, 100%, you're going to come up with an answer. And so, all you got to do is you just got to, you know, time block and really guard that time, like chunking right? You know, time block or chunk those uh, maybe one hour a day and say, okay, what am I going to do? You know, maybe I'm going to increase that hard skill. So instead of, I'm, instead of me being top 10% in the world, I'm going to get closer to the top 1%. Mm-hmm. And then let's say for the second hour, I'm going to reach out or I'm going to do free work in that hard skill for people that I admire and not ask for anything in return. You do that for like a quarter and watch what happens.
1: This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed.
2: Yeah. It's, it's, it's always the easiest thing to do. And I do this like as a parent, like I don't have time. I have a four-year-old, you know, like I I find myself saying that to myself, like I'll be saying, like, how do I do this? And then you look at people who have like three kids and then they're running like six businesses and then they're, you know, and you're like, oh, I have time, you know, like there's, there's something that you can do here. I think that's, that's really huge advice. That's pretty helpful. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, what you're doing now, you kind of mentioned some of the, you know, the, some of the work you're doing, the teams you have, you're growing quite a bit. What are you working on right now that you're most excited about? Like it gets you pumped up to go through the rest of the day.
3: Yeah. I have three companies that are really scaling right now. One is called lead nurture. So that is like a high end, like funnel and back end building service We're invite only referral only. You know, we only take on like one client a quarter. It's very high ticket, but it's, you know, very hands-on. Some of the clients that we that we work with are you know very well known in in our space like Ken Clodier or like Dan Fleischman, these types of guys and then uh, Deal Raise is a company where I help companies raise money um, so you know it's a marketing agency basically but we specialize in finding accredited investors for for deals so we're fourteen out of fourteen right now um, with all of our clients average deal raise is ten million dollars so you know we're really crushing there. You know, operationally building that team so that we can scale even more and help more people. And then my digital agency is called virtual worker now. We have um, 10 departments and we're really moving into kind of a white labeling option right now. So we have a lot of direct clients that we work with, but we started to do the backend for a lot of agencies. So a lot of like really high end agencies that do, let's say ad buying, but they don't build funnels or you know, they do SEO. But they don't do uh, organic social media, or they do ad buying, but they don't do ad content creation, or they do funnels, but they don't do customer support on the back end, right? So, since we have a full service option on the back end, from I think from customer support to phone support to phone sales to funnel building to Shopify build outs to video editing to ad buying to ad. Creation, basically, you know, like our pitch to agencies is like, okay, you're selling two things. Why don't you sell three? Like there's something that your clients need and they're paying someone else for it. Why don't why don't they just pay you? And then we white label the back end. So once we switch to that model, it's like very difficult for us to keep up with the scale because now we don't have our own funnel. We have like 20 funnels that are selling our services, right? So it was a really a really good pivot. And then we've also switched to more project-based. So we have something called uh, we're calling it basically stealing it from Gary Vee, but it's like the content diamond, right? Mm-hmm. So you give us a, you know, one long video and we cut it into 35 assets for you for social media. So mm-hmm. everything from like LinkedIn blogs Love to TikTok to reels and that product has so much crazy pro- uh, product market fit because it's so needed in the market and it mm-hmm. requires Copywriters, video editors, graphic designers, and you know, VA strategists basically. And it requires it at scale and it's really advanced project management. Mm -hmm. So it's really advanced project management because we also have a a 48 hour turnaround. So it kind of feels like a magic trick where you just upload, you upload a video and we give you 35 assets back and. And, you know, we're playing at a world-class level. Like our, you know, a lot of our clients have over a million followers and, you know, are, are you know, really high end. And anyways, that's all to say that basically our, our biggest problem right now is like keeping up with, with scale, which is the best problem to have. And we're just trying to hire efficiently.
2: Yeah, 100%. Um, I have two questions before we kind of move into our big question we ask everybody. First and foremost, I mean, all of all the companies you just mentioned kind of rest on some of your hard skills, like you have these values of, you know, you're able to do copywriting, you're able to do like, you understand that world. Uh, my first question is just, would you feel comfortable, you know, running a company that didn't rely on one of those hard skills? Or have you picked all of these intentionally to line up with like, kind of your core strengths, you know, as a, because obviously, you can hire stuff out, you can get people that know how to do it, you can just be the face of it. Um, do you feel like you're more comfortable knowing like, oh, I could jump in and do this task? From start to finish, that I have an editor doing or a copywriter doing.
3: I definitely couldn't do the video editing or the graphic design <laughs> at the level that they do for sure, or the web development. At least the speed, I can definitely do the wireframing and the copywriting. Yeah, I have a, a good bullshit detector on everything in terms of speed, you know, because I I'm at least comfortable with all of the softwares that we use, so yeah. I know you know whether or not you're you you say it takes. I the, the other day my head web developer was saying that this thing was going to require like a custom build out. And she's like, oh, I think it's going to be like two months. And I said, "Ah, let's do it in like 48 hours. <laughs> so no. so there's, you know, I have some of that um, in me where I, I know what can be done. But certainly, you know, my only I would say my only like true hard skill that I would say, like I can compete with anyone in the world would be copywriting Yeah. No. Um, and all the rest is all the rest is just project management and, and building out the team. But copywriting is so like fundamental. like I have a copywriting course that we have just for our own staff. So it's like all the copywriters that are hired, it's like an internal course um, that I created for them and they always joke and they said you literally don't even write anything for the first like 80% of it. It's all psychology and it's all, you know, the theory of what is a business and, you know, and what is the difference between CPC and CPV and CPA and AOV and LTV and, you know, upsells and downsells and cross-sells. And, you know, I'm like, the whole point of copywriting is to move someone along, you know, as efficiently as possible and to make the metrics better, right? If we're hired as a copywriter or as a funnel building team, And we don't improve the metrics, either make the metrics that you want to be, you know, cheaper, cheaper, or the metrics that you want to be, you know, more revenue, more revenue, then we're not Mm -hmm. doing our job. This isn't an art project. It's not like, you know, we're not giving it to a professor and hoping they like it. It's like real world, real money. It's a formula.
2: It's not just
3: creative writing. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Absolutely. So I would say, I would say that applies to basically all business. Yeah.
2: Well, this kind of takes me to the last question I want to ask before I get to the the grand question we ask everybody. Um, But, you know, what you're doing now, everyone's trying to do at some level. Like everyone has... Been watching a lot of Gary Vee and is going like I'm going to create a ton of content or you know or I understand you to write so they write really long Instagram posts that you know don't have any strategy to them they're just well written or sometimes not and they're just a lot of words you know anytime something gets saturated it's harder to stand out which we keep circling around uh, so for companies that are working on building funnels they're working on doing copy they're working on you know, growing in some way. You know, what are some of the best ways to stand out when, you know, writing out a piece of copy or putting out a piece of content uh, so you don't just look like everyone else that's trying to create content for the sake of it? And I'm sure you could give uh, a, a whole yeah. episode on this. Yeah.
3: No, yeah, I think the meta the meta lesson is to optimize for like the right KPI mm-hmm. and be obsessed with increasing that KPI. And everything else is noise. The how really doesn't matter. As long as people pay for results, like the market is paying for a result. They're mm-hmm. not paying for an art project. They're not paying for like nice copy or good copy or however a better copy or a prettier picture or, you know, a fancier motion graphic logo. Mm-hmm. And, like no one gives a shit. At the end of the day, what they care about is like revenue, and mm-hmm. revenue is attached to you know the purpose of their business, which is like helping more people in whatever way that they help more people. And so, if you can help that entrepreneur, if you're at you know an agency level, or if you're client facing, if you can help your client, or either help more clients, or you can help your client directly, whatever metric that is, which is usually the way to keep score is is revenue. Mm-hmm. And, and if you can just optimize for that, and optimize for getting a testimonial. Because you have proven, like you see all these, I'm not gonna name names, but you know people in our space, right that are uh, they do like long sales letters mm-hmm. and you know they do kind of the Russell Brunson style like headline, and it's you know you know even if you've never tried this before and you failed a million times, you know learn how to gain you know seven point five million dollars in the next six months. you know it's like I know all of that, right? And that's fine. I, I mean, it works for a certain crowd, but it's not like brand building. And, and the ones that even that, that work, even despite the cheesiness of it, are generally the ones that have in their sales letter, proof, screenshots, and testimonials, proof, mm-hmm. screenshots, testimonials, just whining the whole thing. At some point, the, the trust objection gets destroyed with enough testimonials mm-hmm. and, and results. So it's, there is no like, Trick. The trick is to get what it's like, it's like, you want to make, uh you know, you want to sell a million. I just spoke. Uh, I was in Egypt. And I spoke at this event in Cairo. And this student came up to me and he was like, Oh, like, you know, I want to create this uh, store. This fashion brand. And I was like, Oh, okay, cool. So like, you know, let me see your Shopify store. He's like, Oh, I don't have a Shopify store. I need to go back to like school for business administration.
0: I'm like, no, you don't need
3: to go to school. <laughs> yeah. Like for what? And he goes, Oh, HR. And I'm like, you don't need to hire anyone. You need to like do it yourself. You need to open up your computer and you need to do it yourself. And I think that, you know, I told him at the end of the day, I said, you need to like sell one product for one person. Mm-hmm. And like, let's just start there. You know, like Jordan Peterson says, I know this is kind of like a weird spiritual way of saying it, but he says, if you want to see God look lower. Hmm. And I think sometimes an entrepreneurship is like, you want to like see success, like start smaller, you know, just like make one sale for one person and hmm. get one really badass testimonial from one client. And if you just obsess over that, Then you'll learn so much and it'll make your next sale so much easier because you're like the reason why we close new clients for, you know, our capital raising company is because, you know, we raised $140 million, not because I'm say I can do it. It's because we have done it. Yeah. And so I would say just focus on, focus on getting a really big win for at least one client. And then a lot of your problems will solve themselves.
2: Yeah. It's a lot easier to get clients when they know that you've done it before. (laughs) That always helps and uh, yeah, love that you're yeah. in Egypt. I got, I got offered a job in Egypt, but it was a, uh, it was a pyramid scheme. So I, uh, I turned oh, I it down. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I just, uh, I was sitting on that. The minute you said it, I was like, pyramid scheme, uh, let's go. No, no, no. I'm so sorry. Well, I'm going to go ahead and move us along from that uh, into uh, the question we ask everybody. Uh, do you believe that who you know, or what you know is more important and why?
3: I think at the end of the day, probably who you know, but who you know, if you don't know them, like naturally through just like luck of the draw is dependent upon what you know. Yeah. So it's a bit of the chicken or the egg, but like mm-hmm. in order to get in the right room, you're worthy of being in that room. If you find yourself in a room and you feel overwhelmed, like if you went to an event, uh, like a mastermind event or something, right? And every single entrepreneur in there was, you know, uh, had an eight figure company and, you know, had an average of, you know, 50 employees. And, Would you feel comfortable contributing anything? Hmm. Really? Not in like this narcissistic, arrogant way where you're like trying to show off and like you're trying to feel like you're there, but like really, deeply, truly, like philosophically, could you contribute something to that room? And if you can't, then you might know them, who you know, you might know them technically, but it's not gonna do you any benefit. It's not gonna do them any benefit because you're not, I mean, a simple way of saying it, you're just not on that level yet. Hmm. Now if you went to, you know, a seven-figure room where everyone had a seven-figure company, could you contribute and what could you contribute? If you were in a six-figure room, like could you contribute? What could you contribute? Hmm. And if you can't contribute anything, then go back to the drawing board and it's fine. Yeah. Just grind, you know, get your sh- get your what, you know? Get yeah. your what what you know like at a level that when you're in the room with the who you can contribute. And then when you contribute, you'll have their respect and then they'll start introducing you to other people. Because And they'll
2: like, teach you more what. Yeah, <laughs> they'll yeah, teach exactly, you more what to exactly. go to the next two. Yeah, yeah exactly. that's huge. Well said, well said. Uh, well, um, I know we're at the end of our time here, so I'm going to move us into our random round. Just a couple quick questions so people can get to know you just a little bit better uh, before we close out the episode. First, what profession other than your own do you think it would be fun to attempt? Novelist. Hmm. Haven't you attempted that? I thought you said you published a novel. Yeah. I just to do it. Yeah, but like to do it. In an alternate universe to be focused on that.
3: Or a professional athlete, maybe tennis player. Mm.
2: Gotcha. Uh, If you could sit on a park bench with anybody, past or present, and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? Uh, Marcus Aurelius. Mm
3: why Be very... uh, because he was you know the most powerful person in the world and could basically do whatever he wanted at scale and then was yeah. still somehow also like one of the greatest philosophers ever
2: yeah who better to chat stoicism with than yeah, exactly. him? how do you like to learn best is it books blogs podcasts what's your favorite way to consume new information Ooh, audiobooks hmm. do you have a one that you've read in the last year, like since this, the beginning of this year that's really hit home
3: yeah um i like to hundred million dollar offers, how to, how to craft an offer so good that they feel stupid saying no to by Alex Farmozzi. No,
2: no, that's a mandatory reading for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We all went through that as a team at the beginning of the year. It's, it's, it's a great book. Give me a glimpse of your morning routine.
3: It depends if I'm in Egypt or if I'm in Puerto Rico. My morning routine in, in Egypt is wake up and have a coffee and get to work within like 20 minutes. And, you know, just do that for 16 hours until I go to bed. If my, <laughs> if I'm in uh, Puerto Rico, uh, get up, have a coffee, I go on a run and I listen to an audiobook while I'm on the run and then uh, come back. Sometimes I'll do a, like the you know, resistance workout, but I'm sometimes not very good at it. I take a cold shower every day. So that's one of those things. And then I'll have another coffee with my wife. And then I do my own deep work sessions for like before everyone gets up on WhatsApp. And then once my day starts, it's just me just looking at my Google calendar and showing up for the next thing for 10 hours.
2: Gotcha. Uh, what's your go-to pop-up song? What carries you through the, uh, the 10 hours?
3: I don't really listen to music. Hmm. <laughs> um, I listen to, uh, when I'm doing writing. If I'm doing a deep work writing session, I listen to like melodic techno sets. Mm-hmm. So it can't have any words and it yeah. can't be, uh, but it, and it can't be like so hard that I get distracted by it, but it can't mm-hmm. be like so soft that I'm like falling asleep. So I found that melodic techno is like a like perfect subgenre for me. So I'll just type in like melodic techno set and listen to, you know, like two hour sets on, on YouTube generally what I
2: listen to. Awesome. What is one thing that
3: you're not very good at? Empathy. Hmm. I'm a bit of a, I have, I'm not very good at, a, you know, it's like, I told, uh, our CEO of, uh, virtual worker now. I said, your, your job is basically to decide to, to differentiate between, uh, excuses and valid reasons, mm-hmm. like <laughs> with, with our managers. Like that's pretty much your entire job. Mm-hmm. And, uh, nearly everything to me is an excuse. Mm-hmm. If you're so, I, and I know that that's uh, like harsh for people because I have a very high standard for myself and uh, I expect everyone like in my inner circle to like have the same standard. So I've been said to be like very harsh.
2: Yeah. I was listening to a podcast interview yesterday. I wish I could remember the the phrase and it's going to come back to me right when we get done. But he was talking yeah. about, he was talking about empathy and he said, empathy isn't the best thing to have, which I'm totally opposite. Like I'm super empathetic. And uh, I resonate with the guy on the podcast And because he said, that's why I haven't made any money. Um, that's how I <laughs> felt for a long time was like, I was so concerned about how other people felt that like I would never take care of myself. Uh, so I've had yeah. to unlearn that. But he said, it's not empathy. Basically, he was just saying, it's like, it's having this rational like respect for them and consideration. I think it was, I think he said rational consideration was the word he used, but I'll, I'll look and see later. But, but it was, it was basically saying like, you know, a lot of people go straight into like love bombing people are going straight into like, oh, I unconditionally just accept everything that you're throwing my way. Um, and he was basically saying, like, that's a good way to get run over. And he was saying, you're not capable of truly doing that. Like love and respect and all that comes after time and relationship. So you need to be rational. You need to kind of objectively look at a situation and identify like what's accurate, what's not. Like you said, what's a valid reason or excuse? What's something where you can truly deal that empathy for them and say like, yeah, I get that. But it is a balance. Like people abuse it on both sides. Like people abuse it and, you know, tell their team, oh, there's no valid excuse for anything. You know, even if your kid's sick and you're doing this, like no reason. And then there's people who are always coming in saying, yeah, it was a bad mental health day so I didn't do anything. You know, all day long. Yeah. So, there's a there's a balance there for sure. Last question here, what's the best place online for people to connect with you? I know you have a bunch of companies people could connect with, but if they want to connect with you personally, uh, what's the best way to do that?
3: The only one that I check personally, I know I'm in a lot, I'm on basically every channel, but the only one, the rest of them are just my team posts for me. But the, the only one that I look at myself personally is Instagram. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, at jonathan.kendall. You can always reach out there. And then you, know, you can go to lead nurture or DealRaise or virtualworkernow.com and sign up. And it, you'll have to talk to my team first. But, you know, if it's a, if it's a good fit, then I'll, I'll eventually,
2: I'll find you. Yeah. If they can find a way to add value and reach out yeah. in the right way, maybe they'll get a direct, uh, direct connection yeah. there. But, uh, yeah. awesome. Well, thank you so much, uh, for taking the time to do this. And, uh, I love the conversation and really fascinated by all the stuff you do, like copywriting something that I've been trying to, uh, to learn myself a little bit just to get good enough to be dangerous i guess but I, yeah. I really appreciate your perspectives and love all the work you're doing
3: yeah thanks for having me i appreciate it
0: that's it for this episode if you want to connect with travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com group to join his free facebook group podcast to profit travis will see you there and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it